Hi, I'm Dan Krikorian. And I'm Patrick Carney. And we're Slapping Glass. Welcome to Slapping Glass, where we explore basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today, we'll be conducting a special year-in-review episode where we'll deep dive into our biggest takeaways and learnings from the year. The episode is broken down into three segments. The first is our biggest takeaways from our guests on the podcast. Then we'll discuss our favorite X and O strategic and tactical ideas of the year. And finally, we'll turn up the heat on ourselves in a back and forth overrated or underrated segment. In addition to this podcast, if you haven't already, please subscribe to our newsletter and YouTube, where in the coming week, we'll be releasing videos, breakdowns, and free PDFs of our top 20 sets of 2020. And now, please enjoy our conversation about our biggest learnings and takeaways from the great coaches we've studied this year. Pat, let's jump in on this, but I think it'd be fun to start looking at the things we screwed up on this, yeah. this whole time. I mean, uh, we try to present a, a polished end product, but that's not always the case, obviously. Yeah, I mean, first, you know, credit to our editor, mainly you, for, yeah. <laughs> making sure it comes out like we're professional <laughs> for two guys who never well you had some experience me not but we never had any experience doing interview interviews together so right right we definitely hit some bumps along the way <laughs> considering too we're not in the same room when we're doing these interviews no as presented many challenges or the or the same country or the same time zone yeah um, yeah well yeah i think the biggest hurdle was yeah figuring out how to add and subtract nine hours, <laughs> right. let alone if our, our guest was in a different time zone too. Yeah. So, or the one time you, you text me that you were, you messed up the hours and needed to rush home. Yeah. When you text me saying you're going to be on in 15 minutes and <laughs> I was going to be on in an hour 15. So. Yeah. 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 But no, I mean, yeah, that was a big thing, figuring out just the logistics of all of this and then sort of how we were going to structure the show right and how we wanted to even do it yeah i i think it's our personalities we always wanted the show to be really relaxed and kind of free flowing and not like just like okay here's our 12 questions and we're just gonna get to them you know i think it was important to us to we wanted to be able to react in real time to the answers and take the conversation wherever wherever it goes i think we've definitely gotten better recognizing when there's something like we can really dig on something that obviously interests us that we want to pursue further. And then I think that's where kind of the real value of the conversation is. And I think, you know, we've talked about it. It helps that there's two of us, that we can take the burden of questions off of each other and really listen. Yeah. Just like a logistical point, we've had a hard time, or at least in the beginning, trying to figure out how we can manage both interviewing someone from different rooms without stepping on each other all the time. And I think we, yeah. we had one one episode early on where we tried to say, okay, We'll both stay on mute, and then if you're going to ask a question, you unmute. But then <laughs> yeah. it got it got a little screwy because then 
the guests kept looking at us like, why are these guys always muting and unmuting? Yeah, and, yeah. Well, and then we're only focusing on muting and unmuting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then too, I think we tried the, the lean in. Like if you're yeah. leaning in, you have a question, you lean out. But I think the, the, the really only solution was just, we need to reps. And then we, <laughs> we figured it out. I got to ask you though, which guests were you most nervous before? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think we're both will say we're nervous for all of them. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think for me, it was definitely the one that sticks out is Moncho Fernandez. I mean, we've done so many breakdowns yeah. on him and uh, I'm a big fan of his. So getting him on and a, a current ACB coach in the middle of their season, it was, was really awesome and, you know, very generous of him. Yeah. So yeah, I was nervous. Uh, I think the language may have played a little factor, just not knowing what to expect, you know, our Spanish is a little rusty, uh, right, but, right? But yeah, and then I would say too, uh, having Ryan Pannon on just because it was so early, and again, he was a real big, big get for us at such an early stage of our, yep, web podcasting life. Yeah, yeah. I'd have to yeah, well, same to you. Yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, no, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would just second you on that. I mean, I was really nervous for Moncho, and I think it was like I just didn't want to let him let him down yeah, too like, for sure because we had done two edits on his stuff and he had been really gracious to us behind the scenes about how much he enjoyed our edits and yeah. i don't know why i just felt like this responsibility to try to pull from him even more almost proved to him that we weren't just two jokers <laughs> joker, yeah. yeah just good at throwing his stuff on a screen like that we <laughs> actually understood what he was trying to do and I think, yeah. you know, that was one too, where we recorded that really late at night for me because the time differences, right? He, yes. he wanted to record early. So I was up at like 1am. So I was making sure I was trying to have the energy, you know, to, to ask good yeah. questions, but I was nervous, but like all these things, as soon as we start, it goes away. It's like a game, right? You yeah. Jump ball. And we're good. You know, cause at the end of the day, then it becomes basketball. And I mean, far from knowing everything, but we know enough to at least fake a basketball conversation. <laughs> right, right. So. Exactly. I mean, th- that has been, I think, a common thing is once you and I get into it, because we do a lot of prep for these. Like, yeah. I mean, between watching film, reading interviews, talking to them beforehand on the phone, you know, we really try to, you and I meet for at least an hour and get... Yeah, I mean, we joke we're self-deprecating, but I mean, yeah, we... Yeah, we, we do put in the time and I mean, we take pride in that putting out the best quality we can. You, you said it a, a second ago. I mean, we just always go back and when we talk afterwards, it's like, is this valuable to coaches? Yeah. What, what can we do to just pull value out? Um, there's so many good podcasts out there that are like the coach's story and their journey. And they went from here to there and, and built their way up. And I listen to a ton. I know you listen to a ton of those yeah. and like, we've just said from the beginning, I don't think we can do that as well as these other podcasts. Like we need to, we want to do something more, more in tune with what we want to do. One of the biggest compliments we can get or hear is, you know, and which is our goal is like, we want to have a good 45 minute to an hour conversation about basketball and get into it right away. And we want to talk hoops and we want to learn from these guys as much as we can in the time they're giving us and give our, the listeners as much value. This all started because we wanted to pursue something that interested us and talking basketball with these coaches was number one. Yep. I got a question for you, Dan. What's been your 
one of your takeaways, I won't say biggest, but your takeaways as we've had the chance to, you know, sit down with about 20 coaches now. My first thing that I think I always come away with from these coaches is just how they're able to take complex things and make them simple. You know, whether it's Moncho talking about reverse ball screen action, whether it's Fran Fraschilla breaking stuff down on TV, whether it's, you know, Josh Schertz talking about all their defensive stuff, like in just listening to these guys talk, you can tell how high level of communicators they are and then how it you know, translates to what they do on the floor. And really at the end of the day, these guys are so good because they just, they can communicate complex stuff, make it simple and, you know, and coach through that. And so that, that's one of my biggest takeaways all the time is like, man, these guys are good at making things simpler. Yeah. The communication has kind of been, I think the biggest differentiating factor in what's made these coaches stand out or be successful. Like you said, making things digestible for teaching purposes, but also, you know, communicating and building trust within their communication because you're our head coach and you're going to have times where you got to say hard things or harsh things or get buy-in and tell players to do things that they don't want to do. And, you know, all these coaches said, you know, and I think it goes back to like being, you know, not communicating, but then being, you know, I think a servant leadership and, you know, showing the players that nothing's above you or that you're all in it together and, you know, everyone's making sacrifices. And I think these are, you know, I think especially the modern coach now is really good at, you know, where I think it's no surprise and we're not breaking news here. I think kind of the dictator, the tyrannical head coach is kind of been weeded out and now it's more of a a player focus. I I think the other thing, like the other takeaway too is just, but it's not all like happy and we're winning all the time too. Like I've enjoyed some of the answers when we get into like, how do you give feedback? Like, how do you yeah. how do you get these guys better when they're they're not working hard or they don't want to do stuff or you lose a tough game? There's been some really good answers in there. Yeah, or the just the grind of the season wears on these players and yeah, how do you push through? And yeah, I think that's when the the trust is more important during the bad times than the good times. Obviously, when things are going well when you're winning, it's easier to get by and it's easier to get players to do things, or you know, they believe you when you drop a set or you want to run a yeah. certain drill, but yeah, when you're losing in the middle of the three game losing streak and everyone's pissed and you keep seeing these people the same day after day, you know, it's the trust that's going to pull you out of that. Not a great X's and O's play. Right. And I think we've gotten some great answers from coaches on this because everything can sound really nice on a podcast or a clinic about, Hey, we do this. And then we, we come together as a team, but like, mm-hmm. I don't know, we, we've, everybody that listens to this podcast has been in been in a crappy locker room after a game yeah. or, or had that bus ride. Like, <laughs> I think that, you know, we, we know that. And I, I've liked some of those answers, like the real answers from coaches. I agree. There, there's unfortunately a lot of losing in this business. And so yeah. it's also important to learn how do you coach through that as well. I think that's a human element of coaching that I think we both enjoy hearing them talk about at the end of a more tactical episode. Yeah, exactly. But Pat, how about for you? What's another big takeaway from from your end my biggest takeaway has been hearing how all of these coaches have really been you know playing to the strengths of their players you know i think they all have kind of their core philosophies or you know the the non-negotiables however you want to call it but they all realize the players drive winning and you gotta play to their strengths or you know and find out ways to put them in positions to be successful and not 
just pigeonhole them or, you know, have them continue to do something that they're not good at because it makes the player frustrated. And then it, of course, then will reflect on the court and again, success. And so, yeah, hearing a Mancho Fernandez or a Mike Taylor, all these high level coaches talk about that so much of what their tactics or their, how they want to, their systems depend on their players and finding the right solutions for their players. You're right on that too. It's like they, they have a, you know, it's built up through years of coaching, obviously, but like this ability to find a, a synergy between system and player fit really well. And, you know, they're not just overly stuck to, I guess, one of the other two things when there is adversity or you do lose, like not changing all the time either, like just understanding this is what we do. Here's the tweaks we can make. And this kind of leads into a little bit of, you know, what was it after 10 episodes? We introduce the overrated underrated section and though on its face it's it's meant to be kind of a fun lighthearted segment it's been really fun to add in because we get to see like them working through scenarios in real time and you can see a high level thinker processing that answer which i think is really cool for us and, and kind of unique yeah, for sure. I mean, one, it makes us better because we realize we have to get super specific in our right. questions. But right. yeah, to, to see them think and to see just the wealth of knowledge they have and how they can just immediately like process so many situations and so many solutions. But it always goes back to, well, you know, I think it was Macho except saying it, it depends, but, and it's true, you know, it, these situations, whatever we give them, you know, it, they, they view it from, well, what's the strength of the player or, you know, how's the defense and, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I think they're also very humble, so they don't want to say something as like, you know, this is a hundred percent how you do it. But I also do think it, it's true. The, the game of basketball, it, there's so many different situations and there's so many different variables that go in it. And to see them process it in real time, like you said, it, it's actually pretty impressive and kind of just shows you like there's a reason they're where they are because they can just see the game on so many different levels. Yeah. It, it like adds a layer to the show too, where we, we can, we can like just explore all these topics in a quick segment too, which is fun for us. You yeah. Know? It's a good vessel to jump around. Yeah. Because I think, you know, we, we've talked about, you know, you want people to listen to the whole podcast or you want people to get value out of it. And there's just like so much that goes on in that overrated, underrated, like so many topics in a quick amount of time. And I think the nature of it where we kind of want them to be somewhat quick with their answer like allows us to run through a bunch of different stuff but then also too we've talked about if somebody says something in the overrated underrated that's interesting we just dig in on it more yeah we've had a number of great conversations out of that segment yeah (laughs) yeah there's been so many surprises that have come from overrated underrated like it's not scripted and and I, i think too the other valuable part of that is a lot of these guys that we've had on that are such good coaches or they've done clinics. And so they have like a, almost like a clinic talk prepared in a sense, which is really, yeah, which is good. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I love hearing them, but you can't do that in that section. I mean, they don't know what's coming and they just have to give a natural quick answer. And what I think we've tried to not do because there's a tendency for us to want to do it is bail them out. Right. When they're kind of, (laughs) when when there's that, like almost there's that pause where they're 
they're trying to work through it and you're thinking like i know i've thought in my head like does he think that's the stupidest question he's ever heard (laughs) in his life that's what i think with all my questions (laughs) (laughs) we've said to each other like let's not bail him out yeah let them let them work through it yeah well and i think i mean you know it 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 wasn't something we thought about, but naturally coming in after the first 10 episodes, I think it also gave us the confidence to be like, yeah, we should not try to bail them out where maybe it was the first couple of times and these big level coaches and yeah. us two idiots here. Like, okay, well, uh, you know, if it's this, this, or I yeah. would say underrated or. Yeah. If you, if you want to answer this question, you can't, yeah, yeah. you, you don't, don't feel like to. you have to, but it, <laughs> yeah. it is the segment, but yeah. Properly rated is also an answer. You're good. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and you know, it's, it's funny because the first person we did this with was Zach Boyver and he was unbelievable. I mean, he just, yeah, he killed it. He killed it. But our tendency was like to not, cause he did, he did have one that he said was like properly rated as a joke, but we yeah. talked about beforehand and after Zach Boyver is like, should we give them that option? going forward like underrated over it or properly rated and we both said no like yeah let's no. make them we'll, yeah, we're gonna live in the silence yeah <laughs> we have yeah. to and i think everybody that listens to it gets it like these are such contextual comp you know like there's never black and yeah. white but it at least makes you think about your own scenarios of why it would or would not be overrated or underrated yeah well and i think i mean from the response we've gotten, I mean, we're so grateful from it that these are conversations that a lot of other coaches or people like us are having. Yeah. And so I think they really value when they can get the opinion or another different perspective from a, a coach as well. Pat, as we kind of wrap up maybe this first section with the podcast yeah. learning and stuff, though, I know we didn't prepare this beforehand, but I got to ask you, yeah. what's something that maybe you learned it was surprising or like a moment on the podcast that really stood out to you that you weren't expecting. I'm going to let you yeah. live in the silence. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to have to think because I mean, there's, I know there's several, it's just kind of, yeah. Going back. I could tell you mine if that helps. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why don't we start with you? <laughs> I mean, I think every episode has moments yeah. like that. I mean, so I just remember, sitting there during Panone's last 15 minutes when he was talking about adding value as a coach and working your way up and taking jobs and just kind of like being like a good person, you know, and the things he did to work his way up. I just remember both of us looking at each other going like, this is, this is awesome what he's saying right now. And yeah. I just kept being nervous, like looking at the recording button on zoom to make sure <laughs> I was, I was getting it all. But I think that that moment for me early on in the podcast sort of set off a light bulb of okay here here's here's our sweet spot as a podcast going forward of diving in on x's and o's for 45 minutes and really getting nerdy on it but then we can have this human element in the back 15 minutes but i thought this is a good mix and panone just killed it and so that was a i guess not i wasn't surprised because i knew ryan panone was a generous person before but that for me was like wow that, that that was pretty cool yeah and as i look back i mean i'm always learning from from these 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 episodes and these podcasts and talking to these coaches but i guess yeah the surprises are always kind of at the end when we kind of the coaches get a little bit more reflective especially with with your questions and yeah you kind of see their personality and you know 
I think with Pannon and these other, like you see how their experiences shape them. And I think that's always been more surprising to me as far as, you know, I, I learn a lot, but like the surprise has always been kind of from the ending questions and as they harken back on their experiences and try to give advice or move forward, you know, I'm always impressed and yeah, pleasantly surprised with their answers. Maybe it's a, it's a cop out, but you know, (laughs) and yeah, Pannon, I think did, I mean that, you know, we weren't expecting that answer at all. And I mean, we're grateful that he gave it. And yeah, I think I agree, you know, that we basically kind of had like this aha moment at the end of just how powerful that was and how much value that'll give. Yeah. And I think the response from people too afterwards was, okay, we we can find this good balance between nerdy X and O and human coaching element. I I agree. And to kind of finish it up too, I guess another thing I'm always surprised about is just how generous these coaches are to come on and talk to us. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of the times we don't know them, you know, we have some of our guests we have previous relationships with, but other time it's like, we're just cold emailing them or texting them. And, you know, we're always impressed. And I mean, I think, I think we knew it, but this has really showed us just how like, you know, the, the coaching world is so generous and kind of always looking to take care of their own, so to speak. And that's always been surprising. Yeah. Pat, unless there's anything else with the podcast, we can... Uh, no, yeah, let's, if we want to kind of get into yep. our our assessment of some X's and O's that we've come across with talking to these coaches and obviously what we've researched or watched in film, I, I think that'd be a fun conversation to have. Absolutely. So Pat, I'll ask you to start. I mean, after all the stuff we've broken down, all the playbooks, what what's something that sticks out to you right away? Well, it. I mean, for me, it's all the off ball cutting around the pick and roll. Uh, I mean, I think there's no su- secret or surprise. We have done a ton amount of breakdowns on it, did a big attack in the tag. And I mean, I think the pick and roll, I mean, it started with, okay. I mean, years ago, like just get proper spacing, you know, space it around it and kind of a standing. So stagnant spacing to maybe you'd get like an exchange on the two man side to where now it's, I mean, all the, whether it's a 45 cut, the, the, pop and burn cut, the, you know, the, the shallow cut or the baseline cut. Like, I mean, I think it's, it's been a reaction to the defense. I think the better the defense gets, it drives offensive innovation. And I mean, now how they make, you know, I think behind every pick and roll, the goal is to make all five defenders active and defending something and not able to load up or get another shell coverage. And I've been, all, I've been just so impressed with, with, with these cuts and, you know, I think we always try to drive it or drive out of the, or find out from these coaches, like, how are they teaching these cuts? What are, what are the rules or the reads? Because, you know, it, well, it's so impressive when executed well, and just it's, makes it impossible to guard. And to kind of continue, you know, now you see too, the defenses are starting to react with, I think, you know, next defense, the peel switching or being really high in the lanes as they try to now answer to the advancements in offense. So it's always a fun little dance between how each one will d- drive innovation. hundred percent. Yeah. And I agree with you, the 45s that the corner baseline cuts, the shallow cuts, all that stuff, all that movement during the pick and roll. You know, I know for me personally, taking that back to my own world of coaching is stuff that, you know, we did some of that before, but I just think I've gotten a better sense of, I guess, how to teach it and, and the reads within it too and, and why and 
the the ins and outs of it i think i feel more comfortable with and i've just enjoyed looking into deeper and deeper so i'm i'm in total agreement with you on that i kind of view it too another thing with cuts because i mean obviously everyone you know space play with space and pace but you know these these cuts too they have space because you know the gravity they they draw if your defender is going to be stuck to you because you're making a cut in a way that's even if you're running through the key you know you're still creating space because he's not occupied with you know, where the ball is or bumping a roll, right. he's worried about you cutting. So, you know, you're creating space that way, or you're putting now it's the two other help defenders have to manage something. A hundred percent. I think, you know, especially like the European teams and probably the NBA level too, like they know they're going to eventually get to probably a middle or side on ball. They're going to get to some sort of on ball as their meat of the play at some point during that possession. So, all that cutting and stuff before it, it's just, it makes it so that tag and the help side responsibilities is just harder for teams to really get a sense of who should be in what spot before that, you know, main pick and roll action. And I think that that's probably something that over the years, just the, you know, two guys in a pick and roll, everybody else space and then kind of shift and rotate, which does still obviously work too. But I just think the cutting stuff is a response to, they just have to move the defense underneath the ball more, or they're going to struggle over the course of forty minutes. Yeah, over the over the the, the long game, you can't just walk uh, you walk in unless you're obviously, of course, just supremely talented. talented and yeah, have more talent on the court than. I mean, you could probably just run flex for forty minutes and still crush them. But right, you know, but yeah, I mean, especially at the, the Euro leagues, the NBA, like I, I think it's becoming a must that at least some sort of some sort of movement is necessary. Yeah, for sure. So Dan, you know, what's yeah, what's kind of stood out to you or has impressed you? The one action that I really like that comes up over and over, I think we're seeing more often, it, it's a concept that's baked into sets now more than I think we've seen before, is the ghost screen in any kind of action, whether it's a you know, flare screen that they're ghosting or, you know, just the straight pick and roll that they're ghosting, whatever it is. I think that it just makes it hard on the defense when they don't really know if the screen's actually being set or if they're ghosting it or, you know, it's very confusing, I think, for defenses. And I think offenses are that we've seen are just getting so good at making that distinction so hard for the defense. Kind of the next layer too, I love when they send, you know, guard to guard ghost screens, you know, something that, you know, how yeah. often are your, is your guard being put in situations to defend the screener, let alone when he's ghosting and, you know, just, just these ways to constantly test the defense for, for little cracks that they can make into huge advantages and the uncertainty between is, is he going to set it? Is he slipping? And, yeah. you know, I, I, Pannone has the great saying, no, no screen, no scheme. It's for sure easier said than done when, especially you're operating at such a, high speed and you know you're worried that if you mess it up you know you're also going to hear it from the coach so it's a great action and i mean well when they especially too you know we when they run like then they flare in the ghost screener so it's like just adding another layer yeah i think that you know running to a spot and setting your feet and setting the screen has its value obviously that's probably the thing you want to teach first right is like how to get to the proper screen area and and actually hit a guy and but then when you get to that next level and you're either trying to clear space or you're trying to create some confusion, being able to ghost or, you know, slip that stuff. I think we see it all the time. It just causes so many problems for teams overall. 
I mean, I think I too, I think it's a great action for, you know, if you have a guard, that's uh, obviously an incredible driver, you know, yeah. leans more towards penetration, you know, yep. you know, that he doesn't have to worry about maybe going under or whatever, if they're going to hedge, but it's, yeah, it's just like you go sit and you kind of create that gap and again, playing to the strengths of your players, let them, let them work from there. So the other thing that has stuck out to me with actions, it kind of, it goes back to a little bit with what you're talking about with off ball cutting. But going back to Mancho Fernandez too, I mean, the reverse angle pick and roll and, and just the ins and outs of how that works, why that works, why they run it. That's been super valuable for me because I think as you're coming up and studying the pick and roll, a lot of times it's a, you know, a wing pick and roll or side pick and roll, or it's something going towards the wide side of the floor, or maybe in the middle of the floor, it's a flat screen and maybe they change the angle but with Moncho stuff having it specifically set to the short side of the floor and then short rolling and having all that backside action that was just something i hadn't you just don't see it you still don't see it a whole lot i mean yeah it's just not how like you're brought up learning the pick and roll and so to study that more has been really beneficial personally and then i just think it's really hard for defenses to guard when run well yeah i mean Again, we're completely biased, but yeah, I, I agree. Like, there's just so much space that the defense is going to have to cover on that backside because of the ang- you know, because of the short angle of the reverse screen. You know, you're rolling in to basically two thirds of the court. Even if you're not cutting, you know, it's just you're putting those two defenders to guard a tremendous amount of space, and it's just I, I mean, we've seen it so much that yeah, I don't. I also find myself questioning like, why isn't everyone running this? Like, <laughs> it, it just and you know. I'm sure there are different defenses that get in trouble, but it seems like defense proof as far as whatever coverage you're going to throw at it, you know, like if you're dropping, you know, then they're going to attack and that short roll or the the roll is going to put more pressure. And then if they hedge, you know, you're short rolling again and it's just everything results in advantages with space, I feel like. Yeah, obviously you need a big that can kind of make decisions in the short roll, but even with bigs that are rim rolling, it's still such a tough action to guard. And so I'm just interested, you know, as this comes out on, as we're putting this out, I mean, the NBA coming back in the preseason, I've already seen a few teams starting to utilize that a little bit more. And it's not like this hasn't been in existence either for years, this, but it just seems like now it's more like a choice or yeah, that that they're actively trying to run it and seek it out. Yeah, for sure. So no, I agree. And, you know, I I think recently we looked at a Manresa's team and coach Pedro Martinez and they, how they kind of spaced around the, the reverse screen and, you know, dive in the corner man into the, again, to the strong side dunker spot. So like everyone's loaded up on the strong side, but on the backside, you have a roller and one guy putting as much space between the roll by going to the corner. Like, I mean, again, I think this is why these coaches are so smart. You know, they just find ways to put the defense in such hard positions, but also I think at the same time, simplify the decisions for their players so they they can have success and their their reads are easier kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier of coaches making stuff you know simpler rather than more complex how maybe maybe one more or two more before we move on here pat what, what's another x and o or strategy thing i think what stood out too uh, is also just um flares yeah you know nothing crazy innovative but i mean you know how how teams are using flares and just they're so hard to guard how many teams are really practicing against the flare, but whether it's a flare off of a handoff or flaring the passer, 
Like I've really enjoyed how, how teams have kind of weaponized the, the flare screen and put it more into their offense. Yeah, I'm with you on it. Why do you think it's so hard for teams to guard that flare? You know, naturally, most of the time you're, you're flaring a shooter. Yeah. So like, and what I think has been the real credit to these teams is they're putting the shooter in whether, yeah, he's passing it or maybe he's getting a, a handoff. So as a defender, you're maybe you know, being taught to jump to the pass or you're worried about the handoff. So you're providing some sort of support and then they're hitting you with the flare. So you're almost caught chasing immediately and you have to chase because he's a shooter and, you know, they're good about it. if you go under, you're going to get immediately rescreened. Yeah. So like, you know, you're fighting through a screen and then you're just chasing. And of course, you know, they space the court well where it, it's getting flared to an empty side. It's and, tough. Yeah, it's just tough. I, I don't know. And I think for whatever reason, I don't know why just you don't see it enough. It's just an unusual screen to navigate yeah. from like a perspective point of view. We did some breakdowns on like the flare, the passer stuff, which the flare takes advantage of the fact that like good defense is taught to kind of jump to the ball. So somebody passes it and then gets a flare right after a pass. That defender is jumping towards the ball, or at least he's still even with them. So you can get a, a clear screen on him. But to your point too, about it just being unusual, I have always thought it was really hard for defenses because one of the guys in that action can't see what's going on. Yeah. Like in a pin down screen, yeah, it's hard to guard and you can read it, but everybody involved sees it coming. Flair, it's like you you just can't see it. It's behind it's behind you. Yeah. And so it's just hard for for that guy who's guarding the guy getting the flare to really make any impact on him. Yeah, to try to disturb it pre-screen or kind of yeah. get load up your chasing over. And, you know, the next step, too, is like the defender guarding the screener. Yeah. You're not getting a lot of support because no. obviously if a smart screener will slip anything if you're going to support a flare. And if they don't give any support, you're basically chasing it naked. Or, you know, some teams also we've done, they'll, they'll loop it. And so, yep. like, yeah, you're cutting the basket. So, you know, it, it's just a... I mean, it's a great action. It's been around for years for a reason. Uh, <laughs> right. But yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to guard, man. And it's tough to guard as it by itself. But then as we've seen, it's tough to guard when they just use it as like a masking action, but then they get a flare to a, a pick and roll or a flare to a rescreen yeah. or a flare to, I mean, they just use it as like a way to move the initial chess Yeah, just piece. to put the defense yeah. at a disadvantage and then just continue to build off of it until you, they break. Yeah, so I, I would say Pat, the last um, just piece of X and O stuff that I think you and I have really gotten to dig into is you know Yeshiva's motion offense or just I guess, you know motion offense in general. But we we did such a big breakdown on Yeshiva and you know quick reference they were potentially you know the best offensive team in Division Three basketball at least you know one of the top five for sure and all the statistical categories and they run just a pure you know five out sometimes four out one in look motion and when you watch it it's just constant movements and back cuts and and all sorts of stuff and for us we wanted to undertake that as a project of like let's really pull this apart and learn from it and break it down and you know, we, we were lucky to have Coach Steinmetz come on. He was our first guest ever on the podcast. Yeah. We just grilled him on it. Organized chaos is kind of, I think, yeah, how, how you can describe it. And 
I mean, the true definition of just being unpredictable at every step of the way. Yeah. And I mean, they, they do a hell of a job and, you know, I think we try to pick out some guidelines because there really are no rules. I mean, they're, yeah. so, you know, I think the challenge for us was, but which also was helpful when, you know, coach came on and talked to us about it, but yeah, kind of picking out these guidelines and just kind of some things that maybe determine some of their actions or their reads and yeah, really trying to make it digestible and understandable for, you know, other coaches moving forward. Yeah. And, and you know, even for us, I mean, and, you know, we like to think that we can pick stuff up fairly quickly on film or, or recognize actions and, you know, we can recognize what they're doing, but like trying to pull out rules or guidelines or reads that was fun and challenging, I think for both of us. And it wasn't until we got to sit with coach Steinmetz and just straight up ask him, okay, let's look at this piece of film. Yeah. What, are the, what are you telling your guys here? What are you telling them here? And that, that helped us a lot in guiding up our breakdown because we were, you know, we had what he said and he, he did bring up a lot of great points of like, well, we don't really call them rules. We, we call them you know, guidelines or, you know, things like that, where it really was a pure read react motion offense. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, you know, we interviewed, interviewed coach Steinmetz, you know, uh, the picture got a little bit clearer, you know, especially I mean, of course, you know, spacing dictates every offense, but, you know, I think what stood out to me is kind of his two second hold rule because, you know, you watch the film and especially the first couple of times we see it, it just, it does, it looks like the chaos and it's like, how does anyone know what to read or, you know, where to yeah. look? And, you know, when you hear that a very simple rule, but then gives a lot of like clarity and then kind of, I think really drives the offense. It's like, you got to hold the ball, you know, it, which I think, you know, and especially too, in the offense, you hear quick decisions, move the ball, you know, ball movement, body movement, you know, yeah. point five, however, zero second decision-making. And, you know, it, I think it was refreshing to also hear like, well, you know, for a purely motion offense, you got to let the motion work and let it develop. And I, I think that that was really cool to hear. And then another thing, I think he had a great saying that the ball will come to the action or the ball will come to you. Don't come to the ball. Yeah. And I think that's another great teaching point for any sort of off ball movement, regardless of if you're running an action, you know, you'll see so many times no one's reading their defender. They're seeing where the ball is and they're just chasing after the ball. And I think it's like, no, trust that the ball will come. We'll find you. Don't find the ball. Well, Pat, we've put a lot of people on the hot seat for overrated, underrated. Yeah. And, uh, I th- you know, we thought it might be fun to, do that back and do forth here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> put our, put our money where our mouth is. I mean, all these yeah, coaches yeah. pissed off at us after asking them over eight under eight questions. Uh, yeah. But so I've prepared some for you. I know, I know you've got some for me. Yeah. Just give this a shot. Maybe what's the worst that can happen, you know? Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you want me to go first or you want to start? Yeah. You, I like, you start. I, I feel like I always start on the podcast. So if you want to start, well, okay. You want all, okay. We'll yeah, let's let's flip up. it. Yeah. Let's make it. Okay. Up. I'll start first. All right, Dan. Okay. Overrated, underrated, one-on-one full court. <laughs> <laughs> Very near and dear to our hearts. Yeah. What's really funny is I have that written down for you too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we can both we can both give the answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go underrated. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna go overall underrated. There's issues that can come up with it for sure that we can get into. I'm going to go overall underrated and quick 
backstory for the people listening, if anybody's still listening at this point, but (laughs) in college, you know, Pat and I played together in college. And one of the favorite drills of our coach was one-on-one full court down and back, down and back like twice. And I mean, you you talk about a bear of a drill. I mean, that thing, that's very, very, very difficult, you know? So, and, and the fact too, it's not like you could just jog back to half court and kind of let, like we had to get up. You had to get up. And if you got blown by, depending on his mood, which was pretty consistent, you have to start over and come back. So there was a lot of negotiating between, okay, I'll I'll zigzag three quarters of the court and then jack a jumper. And then you (laughs) did the same. Exactly. So by mid season, because yeah, what happened early in the year, you'd have some, um, some freshman or some transfer kid that John, wanted Johnny to, Dick, all American. Yeah. That wanted to impress coach and would try to blow by you and, and co- coach would call you to come back and start over and you got to keep them in front and turn them and turn them. And the veterans eventually figured out like, okay, I'm going to make it look like I'm really going by you, but you, I'll let you turn me once and then turn me twice. I'll, I'll shoot a, I'll shoot a good jumper in the half court. Make sure you block me out. We'll go back the other way. Not all the time if our if our coach is listening to this, but yeah. <laughs> you figure it out when you get to be a junior or senior. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So it's underrated because it does teach some toughness. It does get you in shape. I think offensively, it does teach you to make a good move and try to go by guys in a straight line and, and to take a good shot as a drill to just get your guys in shape. I, I mean, it it's a, it's a really, really hard drill. So for that, I'd say it's underrated. You know, doing it every other day or every day or doing it like after the middle of the year when guys are tired and their legs are tired, maybe overrated. You don't need it as much, but overall good drill. Yeah, I would as much as it pains me say, yeah, underrated. I think I think definitely for the offense, just to teach kind of yeah, a get by your guy, get in a straight line dribble. And I think more so for the you know, for the defense too, you know, besides conditioning, but you know, regardless of whatever tempo you want to play at, but you're going to be facing fast breaks and you need to at least contain the ball and not run up on the ball and get blown by. And now you're still at a disadvantage. So I, I think it's really important yeah. that you, at least you got to be able to turn them once or, you know, control the first two, three dribbles. So at least you can buy time for your guys to run back. And I think this is where it has a lot of value. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think you kind of hit on it. If it maybe early season, build some toughness, some conditioning. This is a classic drill though, for the first day or second day of practice that, you know, we still do this to this day. No doubt. One-on-one full court. And then the poor, fr- and our coach still does this where he'll put, he'll match a senior or junior up against a freshman. And it's just brutal. Just eat them alive. I mean, it's just absolutely <laughs> brutal. And the, I mean, the poor freshman looks like he wants to go home. He never wanted to play college basketball ever. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, because the hard part about the drill is if you get blown by, coach will blow the whistle and start it over. So yeah, it starts to be tough for the offense because it's like, come on, man, keep me, just keep me in yeah. front for at least a few slides. Yeah. So we yeah. Get out of this drill. <laughs> oh god. Oh, all right, um, Pat. My next, so yeah. my next for you. Overrated, underrated, taking a charge. Overrated. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I mean I think it's a uh, it's a hard call to call yeah in the first place uh, yeah and I just don't like it I, yeah. I think it's a stupid call they get rid of it it's hard to call and I don't know I, I like the flow of the game now when someone does do it, it it's it's great and everyone gets excited so I mean of course it has a lot of value but for my preference and my coaching style or tempo yeah. preference like 
try to contest as best you can. can. Let's keep the game going. We tried this year to teach a lot of when a guy's rotating to help, just teaching the vertical jump and contest, yeah. you know, instead of yeah. if you're at all worried that you might be sliding under a guy or that the charge isn't there, instead of just not doing anything like working on coming over and we literally have a drill where we, they, they slide in to help. And then we work on that, like dream on green type of straight yeah. foot jump, get as high as you can, just contest it. I, I, I think too, I, what I think would be fun is maybe if they did away with like, um, if you can only get a charge on the ball, as far as if you were sliding over, if you're a second defender. So no help charge, no help charges. Like if you're, I think it, you'll still have the flopping of course, but I think maybe that would be like a good compromise. Like if you're, if you are in good position and they run into you, you should be rewarded. But yeah, I, yeah, I think a charge and I think of, yeah, the, again, go back to this, some Johnny Dick, all American, like <laughs> running up under you, trying to yeah. take the charge and, you know, get on the coach's good side. Yeah, especially during practice, sometimes, like, d- diving on the floor in practice. Sometimes like I, I get it. Like it's good. We've had instances where a guy doesn't really know young guy just trying to work hard dives into the, our star players knees trying to dive <laughs> on the floor and rolls. It's like, Oh gosh. Okay. Well, this, yeah. The same thing with our player, you know, maybe I, I was never good at taking charges. Uh, I, I mean, I never wanted to just get, pancaked but maybe it is a skill you got to practice but i hated seeing it in practice when our especially with our big centers you know yeah and we got some guy trying to take a charge and it's like it's practice man like we try to call as little fouls as possible anything and you're over here taking a charge and of course everyone then has to stop because you're on the floor probably the guy you try to take charges on the floor everyone's looking around like what are we doing it's usually (laughs) some of the rookies who come out college that love to still take charges and practice or you know yeah we're doing like three on two or 11 man fast break <laughs> it's just you throw the ball ahead you go for a layup and he's coming under you it's like what I just, yeah overrated overrated yeah, before we move on my least favorite drill as a coach as a, as a you know younger assistant being asked to be the coach that makes the guy oh, take yeah. a charge and the take charge <laughs> drill and I'm sure there's a lot of coaches out there that have had to do that where you're the guy driving baseline and you hit them. And, you know, when each guy goes through two or three times on each side and, you know, you've got, let's say, 15, 18 guys. I mean, you're trying to run over, you know, six five, <laughs> six six college basketball players like 50 times. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, has its, it has its purpose, uh, I think, but prefer yeah. not to do it no yeah time. exactly I, I wouldn't miss it yeah exactly <laughs> all right dan yep. overrated underrated triangle and two. Oh, easy underrated underrated i love junk defenses i just not maybe as like your base defense i just think it really messes with teams and we've used it you know We've, we've used it here at the college level and won some games or stolen some possessions. And, you know, I think watching Nick Nurse do it to the Warriors opened it up to, you know, it used to be just kind of like a tricky defense that teams would run. I'm thinking of Rick Majerus at Utah in the Final Four. They did it to Arizona and Miles Simon and all those years back. And it really can screw with teams. So I, I love it. I love any defense that really takes away the the straw that stirs the drink of an offense whatever makes that offense go 
to be able to make it difficult, you know, by taking away the two best offensive players and frustrating them and making the other three guys try to beat you, I think has a lot of value or, you know, or some, you know, even if it's not a strict triangle and two, a semblance of that kind of a defensive game plan, I think is, is underrated for sure. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I think in your regular defense, you're always trying to make make the weaker players or make someone else beat you. You know what the strengths are. You know, let's see what this guy can do. So, yeah, you know, I, I, it has it's based in a, a lot of sound logic. Yeah. You know, I guess my question to you is, do you practice it with your team or is it something like we're just going to do it because it's more like a chaos com- confusion factor? So, you know, are you spending time in practice? Yeah, no, we, we would. Yeah. I mean, I think that is part of it is you got to, you, you got to practice it because there are a lot of holes that can be in it. If you don't practice it, like, especially at the higher levels, I think if you throw out a, a kind of average triangle and two, because when I was, when I was a high school coach, we did a triangle and two or box and one a lot as well. And just high school level, not having as much, had many players on a single team that can beat it. You can kind of throw it out there and it'll just screw them up enough to you're okay you know, college level, even you're the, you know, the third guy on the floor is a really good player too. So you have to still count for him or her, um, but we will practice it. So, you know, the, the way we ended up kind of running it and what I like is a little less of the traditional two guys in full denial and three guys in like a zone triangle. What we found was kind of a happy medium when we did run it was the two guys that are in full denial and the other three guys are in man but they're in extreme help. So, so it was almost easier for guys to get it where it's like, instead of, oh, you go here, we're in the zone, you're in the triangle, you go here. It was like, you're guarding that guy. You're plugging every gap. Yeah, You're not chasing him out the three-point line. You're, you're sagged way off. And so when you have three of those guys kind of clogging and moving with two guys denying, the other thing that it can do is it, it looks like you're in man the other team doesn't know you're in a triangle too. And so we found, you know, at spots some success with that. Um, but we definitely, definitely, definitely have to practice it for sure. What are you doing uh, with the on ball screens when they screen one of the two guys? The first rule was the guy, if if you're guarding one of the guys that you're the two, one of the two that you're triangle and twoing, you're going over the top of every on ball screen. Every you're going over the top of every screen in general. Like you're, you're not going under anything. You're turning everything over into the help. And in theory, if there's an on-ball screen, if it's the two best, if it's the two guys that are guarding the triangle, two guys screening for each other, it's a switch. But mm-hmm. if it's any of the other guys that sets it, then you're going to go over the top. And we wanted, you know, some of this was specific to the scout, but the other guy who was in the triangle would pick him up. And yeah. the, the hardest part was, do we switch? Do not switch? And that was where we worked on some communication. If that guy could get back to guarding him, he would. But point of emphasis was always on if your guy's setting the screen for him, you need to get up to touch almost and try to try to get up to the ball. And then you got to take the ball until you can switch back potentially. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should do a breakdown on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's a overrated, underrated next defense. I would say it's underrated just because I think more teams 
should be doing it. I think there's a lot of teams in Europe doing it, but I think it's a great defense that, you know, I'm, I guess I'm surprised it hasn't caught on so much in the, in the States. We talked a little about it with boy bear. I mean, it does take a, a, for sure a high level of communication. And, you know, I think what we also try to hit on some defensive IQ, but I, I really am a big fan of, of the next defense. Uh-huh. And I think it's, again, it, it dictates what the offense should be doing. And I think anytime you can kind of win that battle of who's dictating what, you know, is a key factor. And again, it's also similar to like the flare. It's just a unique, as the point guard's coming off, you know, I don't, you're not getting so many reps with another guard running at you. Right. You know, and I think too, a lot of the tendency with most guards is they want to pound the ball and dribble and kind of look to create. So you're taking that away immediately because as he's coming off the screen, like the helps right there. And, Usually you're maybe looking at the roller backside, not strong side. Yeah. So for sure. No, I, I'm oh underrated. Uh, I think it's something that I mean I'm I'm sure it will, but it should be used more liberally and can really be effective. For sure. All right, Dan. My my last one for you. Uh, overrated, underrated zone plays. Ooh. <laughs> I guess it depends on what, what the play is. But I would say in general, underrated. I'm personally a fan of running a zone set against a zone, at least at the college level, rather than always relying on like a zone offense all the time. Because I just think that for younger guys, like trying to pick apart a zone, you know, it just it just messes with guys. It just takes them out of stuff. And it's I think with a zone set or a zone play. As a coach, you can manipulate and get the two-on-one with the actions you run that you want your normal zone offense to get, but you don't have to rely just on guys making decisions. And so I'm, I'm a big fan of against, you know, say you're a 2-3 zone of, of coming down and running a zone set, and then it flows into your zone offense after the fact, but you can definitely run stuff to try to get the advantage that you want anyway. So... You know, I think there's obviously some zone plays that are better than others that I would say some might be overrated. But I think as a, a general thing, like I just personally feel more comfortable coming down and running a set and then having it flow into the offense after the fact. And in, in general, I would say I lean more towards it being overrated. I think. Okay. I mean, I, I think you kind of hit on it. You're still the principles of your offense. I think maybe after whatever the set is, if it's a zone entry, a man-to-man entry are still going to be the same as far as attacking advantages, passing, spacing. But yeah, I, I just find, you know, your man plays, you still have a good amount of ball movement, motion, cutting. You know, I think you just have to concentrate on changing how you screen. You're saying you'd rather just run man plays against the zone. I'd rather just run man, run man plays. Okay, okay. And I think just kind of tweaking how you screen within your your, your man plays against the zone. I but see. But I, I think you're going to get the same amount of success and just staying with man, you know? And, and I think too, like maybe, you know, they go to zone and so we counter by going to our zone plays. And I think sometimes it can have that effect of standing guys up because then it's just, okay, we're just going to start to pass. Now we're in our zone offense where maybe if you're in a good flow and you're man to man and they're doing it reactionary, yeah, just stay with your man to man and kind of like, I think sometimes it has the, the effect of kind of pumping the brakes on your guys where it's like, just, keep doing what we're doing. Who cares what they're, they're doing. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, there's been times too, like, yeah, we've just run our man stuff against a zone, especially, uh, you know, a switching zone, or it's kind of hard to tell, is it a zone or is it a man? It's like, just keep running your man stuff. It'll give yeah. you the movement and action that you want. You know, I guess I was thinking of like, you know, the team's in a two, three, right? They're just sitting back and, and they're traditional. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I would say that 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 was what I meant, and I would I would just say that zone play I would tend to say is yeah overrated. I think just staying your man, you can get you're going to get the same same stuff. I don't think you're going to get that much of a create that much more of an advantage or you know any yeah. difference or any out shot outcome that you couldn't also achieve through man. Okay, I I, I like. Setting on-ball screens on the zone, I think, is yeah. just—it's just so good, and that kind of lends it to like, well, if your man offense is kind of a yeah. flowing on-ball, then just keep running it. Just screen those top guys. Let let your guy get downhill and find find an advantage and play. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, another thing too is I may just not be a good zone offense coach. So, you know. <laughs> well, so I I will preface it by our I do. There's like five zone sets that we have that we've had a lot of success with that i I love like because i they've they've gotten us some big baskets in big games or you know our guys feel comfortable or or they get the kind of advantage that we want and so i i always feel more comfortable sort of running one of those handful rather than sometimes it stresses me out as a coach when it's like just come down and just run your zone and the guy flashes at the high post and then they pass it to the top and our guys are standing and I'm just like, yeah, I know a bad shot is coming. (laughs) And you know, you you can't use all your timeouts every time a team jumps into a zone. But so I think, I think uh, it's nuanced, right? Like, like our, like Mancho would say, it it depends. Yeah, exactly. But the way he says it sounds better. Yeah. yeah, yeah, That Spanish R just, yeah, nice. Rolls off the tongue nicely. Yeah, yeah. All right, Pat. Uh, my my last one for you then: overrated or underrated hedging the on ball screen? I think it's uh, underrated. I, I think we hit on it with uh, Coach Bross in our most recent episode. Like, I think it's like kind of the foundation, a good foundation to have with your team. And I think from there, if you know how to hedge, well, you can always kind of scale back. Yeah. Okay. Maybe we're just up to show, or maybe we're going to really trap trap it and make them give it up. But, you know, and then I think it, it kind of builds in some good, you know, your backside rotations, your kind of your, your shell defense. I always like to be aggressive and dictate action as best you can on defense. So let's get out of it. I lend stuff. I'd rather be up to touch or showing or hedging rather than dropping back and letting a point guard kind of turn the corner and, you know, get comfortable picking you apart into the zone and kind of collapsing more. I'd rather, yeah, we're going to be up. We're going to try to hopefully kind of know where the ball is going to go and we're going to be ready to play out of it and put some pressure on them. It does feel like more teams are hedging than ever before, especially in Europe. Yeah, I, I get that same impression. And I mean, I, I think too, it, you, not everyone has just a great shot blocker, but I think too, I think they're really, they don't like the guards have gotten so good and so used to just, okay, if you're coming over and, you know, you're, their man's chasing them, they're going to get deep into the paint, which is usually going to suck the defense and more. And then now you're looking at longer closeouts, three pointers. And, you know, obviously the skill level of the guard again goes back to, well, they can, 
I think they can manipulate it too. They can snake it. They can hoss the dribble. They're, they're good at, you know, getting the paint and finishing. So again, I mean, kind of reactionary to the offense got good at it. The defense reaction is like, okay, well, we're just going to be up to the ball then. Yeah. Well, that was, uh, we survived. We survived. <laughs> <laughs> we're both off the hot seat. Oh man. Well, uh, gosh, Pat, that was fun. I guess just looking looking ahead at next year, you know, we just want to again thank everybody who has has listened, has followed, and, and, you know, on any platform that we're on. We really are thankful, and to, the, to all the coaches and people that reach out too, like thank you very much. That does mean a lot to us when we get a note from someone about you know the podcast or whatever it is that they find value in. So, yeah, we're we're really appreciative, and and. I mean, we, we like talking basketball with whoever it is from whatever background, whatever level. So, yeah, we can't thank you guys enough for the positive feedback and yeah, taking the time to reach out to us. We really like to be thoughtful in our answers and commit time, and it's not lost on us at all. Thank you guys again, and enjoy the holidays. Thank you so much for tuning in and for your support of the podcast this year. Please make sure to check out our newsletter for the top 20 sets and free PDS of 2020. Have a great holidays, and we'll see you in 2021 on Slapping Glass. Okay, Pat, overrated or underrated, talking into a microphone during a podcast? Uh... (laughs) underrated it's very very hard for me <laughs> overrated underrated ncaa division one basketball <laughs> this is tough this is a tough segment underrated underrated all right bro as, as a... <laughs> correct <laughs> it's always nice too to hear feedback from my girlfriend that i sound like shit on the <laughs> on the podcast too so. <laughs> Just, uh, just the feedback I was looking for. Uh.